Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Coming Soon, Part 1, Hope, recorded Sunday, November 28, 2021. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. Uh, we are entering this uh, time in December that traditionally the church, I mean the big picture church, has called Advent and has celebrated for centuries. And the word Advent means coming soon, coming soon, or arrival, hence the theme of our, of our month. And if you haven't already caught up, Christmas is coming soon. I mean, it's just around the corner, and we're on the fast track, the proverbial fast track for Christmas Day. Now, if you're like me, waiting isn't your gig. I mean, we're Americans typically are not great at waiting, and so there's always that buildup or that anticipation for something coming, like Christmas. And so uh, we know that we don't wait well. Americans particularly are not good at waiting in three core areas. Weight loss, Thanksgiving, making money, and happiness. I mean, we want those things right now. And advertisers know this, and so they exploit us. So I did a little bit of a Google search on all three of those. Instant weight loss, I Googled that. By the way, there's only 1.8 million places you can go for that on, on the World Wide Web. So uh, here's a couple things that I learned. Open box and instantly lose nine inches off your waistline, which is about what I put on in the last three days. But how, what box? What's in that box? What, a surgical team? How does that happen? I mean, no way. Uh, here's, you can, I could buy into this one though with weight loss. Eight minutes in the morning for easy weight loss. Guaranteed to shed two pounds a week. No equipment, calorie counting, or deprivation required. So all that stuff you've heard about exercise and eating rationally and, and watching your calorie intake, just forget it. All you got to do is this eight-minute thing. Hey, look, full disclosure, it's a colon cleanse, okay? That's what it is. So if you can handle that, go right ahead, okay? How about making money, easy money? Well, we all want to get rich quick. We know that. So I did Google that, get rich quick. And, you know, there's, there's only 1.5 billion hits on that, okay? Just so you know. But here's a couple ways to get rich. Go to sleep, wake up rich. This is what I, I, I found that. Look, okay, the only way that you're going to go to sleep and wake up rich, if you're married to a guy named Rich. That's, that's the only way. I'm just telling you right now. I mean, I'm not a financial wizard, but uh, here's another one. Uh, to get a million people to give you a dollar, you can get rich. So you've probably heard this. So just, you, know, you just exploit all your friends, about 30 of them, and then another almost million people. They send you a dollar while all you're a millionaire, which rationally makes sense, except you think about it. Okay, if somebody gives you a dollar, wouldn't you feel obligated to help them get rich too? So you give them one back. So it's, it's like a washout. There's no way that works, right? Now, this is the one that I thought maybe would work the best for me about happiness, getting happy. Finding happiness. By the way, there's 500 million results that I found for this. I didn't read them all, but I like this one. Leave work early. Yeah, it might make you short-term happy. In the long term, you're looking for a job. How happy are you going to be about that? Now, this is the one, though. It said, just stare at something yellow. 
I thought, well, that could work. Let's try it. <laughs> nope. No happiness found there. We're so impatient. Coming soon. But what if, what if it's not soon enough? I mean, the purpose of Advent is to teach us to wait, to build up anticipation for what's really to come. And, and there's some things that we long for. I, they're just common things. We long for our hopes to be fulfilled. We, I think all of us are, are interested in having peace in our life, peace in our world. I think that we would like to be fulfilled in life, and I know I would, and fulfillment's a, a big thing for us. And by the way, there's something about wanting to trust, trust that God has control and that it's all going to work out the way it should. And so these are some of the things that we're going to talk about over the next month. And surprise, I believe and we believe that, that fulfillment is found through Jesus, that, that, that he does fill our lives. Now, I want to read to you from one of the passages. We call them the birth narratives of Jesus. And we're going to do this throughout the month. And we're going to look at this idea of what it means to, to anticipate what's coming soon. So this is about a man named Zechariah. You've heard the story possibly. I'll read it to you again. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron, meaning she was in the kind of the royal family of, of uh, the Jewish people. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old, and so their hopes were kind of you know, their hopes had long since gone by that they were going to have a child. Once when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. It was a huge deal for him. And when the time came for the burning of the incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So the picture is there's one guy that gets to go into the Holy of Holies and they're into the temple, into the, into the inner room of the temple, and then the rest of everybody else is out on the steps and out in the outside area of worshiping. When Zacharias, excuse me, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. As you can imagine, he was supposed to be the only person in that space. And then there's this angelic being there. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. You might stick that one in the back. We're going to talk about that later. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born, which is unusual. That's not how it works for the rest of us. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah like a prophet to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord who would be Jesus. Zechariah asked the angel though, how can I be sure of this? Because I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. 
I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the appointed time. Now let me challenge you with something that may or may not be foreign to you. You've heard it before. The question is, do you believe it? And by the way, some of you aren't going to want to hear it. It might even offend you. So I'm just giving you a fair warning on that. Others might be okay with it. I don't know. But if you grasp this fact, it will change your life. If you've not already grasped it. It will change your world. It will change your family. It will change the way you operate. And it will change your hope. Here it is. Ready? It's not about you. That's it. It's not about you. I mean, in this universe, in the grand scheme of things, you are not the center of it. This universe and the God who created all of this, he doesn't owe you anything. Now, you might not like that. Being in this world, being in this room, I'm just going to say something else. It's not about you living your best life ever. Okay? You're not the reason this universe exists. This is an epiphany straight out of Luke 1. It's the simple idea that God is at the center of all of it. And we are just side players, man. We are just like, we are just like, you know, like role players in the big scheme picture of all of this. And that's what Zachariah learned. Now, he was in the story, you notice that. And learning this can either free you or disturb you, depending on where you come in at it. That the secret of happiness, the secret of health, the secret of joy is discovering God's purpose and living that out. And do you embrace that? I mean, uh, here's the thing about waiting, because, you know, we're talking all month in this Advent season about waiting for something to happen. Waiting and hoping, they go hand in hand. For you, awareness of that is a good thing. But life has a way of lying to us. And there are three lies that life tells us, and I think three counteractive truths that we can, that we can grow in, that we can count on. When coming soon and longing for are at odds with each other. So here's the first lie. The lie is God's not doing anything. But the truth is, God is moving. I mean, I mean, which is it though? Because it's either one or the other. Zechariah, he's a priest in the service of God. Now, first of all, his nation had been hoping for hundreds of years that God would send the Messiah to save them. And they had this idea, this provincial king or ruler, uh, probably a warrior, who would come and lead the people into victory against their enemies. And at that time, their enemy, their primary enemy was Rome. And so the, when Zechariah went into that temple, part of the prayer in that temple was, God, send the Messiah. Send the, the, the hope for one. And, and they waited 
for 400 years since the conclusion of the Old Testament until the beginning of Jesus' experience in the world, they waited. And so there's this promise that comes that that's going to be fulfilled. The angel says God's going to do this, and he's going to do something specifically through Zechariah and Elizabeth, that being that they were going to have a child, his name being John, and he would be the forerunner or the one who would lead the people to understand who Jesus is. Now look, I've read this passage scores of times. And the question I have is this. Why did the angel punish him? Because you remember what happened. He, he was doubting whether or not this could happen because he's, let's, let's put it this way, he was an old guy. He didn't think he had anything left in him, okay, to have children. So, and maybe he didn't. I don't know. It's hard. It's tough. So anyway, he's questioning that, and the angel said, okay, because of that, you're going to be silent until the, after your son's born. Why the punishment? I mean, wouldn't not being able to have a child be punishment enough? And isn't the shock of finding out as old man you're going to have a child punishment enough? I mean, wouldn't you ask a question maybe? Like, hmm, Really? I mean, she's a beautiful lady, but she's an old lady. I mean, you know, you'd, you might have questions. Here's why. Here's why. Because it wasn't about him. I mean, yeah, he was part in the story, but it was, this was a bigger thing. It's about God and what he planned to do to save the world. And by the way, the, the, the idea that Zachariah would be made made me, excuse me, made dumb until, until the time after his son was born. That was symbolic that God's voice had been silent for 400 years. And then when he had his voice rediscovered, reestablished at the, at, the, at the circumcision of his son, then that would be the time when God spoke. And he would speak through a greater sense through Jesus. But here's the thing. It's hard to wait. It, it's, it's hard to be patient. He and his wife had had to wait. This nation had been waiting. But God was moving in all the waiting. God was setting the stage for the coming of Jesus into our world. But have you ever had an experience where you really were longing for something? You might have been praying for it. You'd been hoping for it. Something big in your life. Or in our world, I don't know. And it just seemed like God was silent. It just seemed like God really didn't hear your prayers. We do it. And he may, may very well not come soon, but he's always going to come at the right time. Why did God choose that specific time for the coming of Jesus? Why? Why, why the silence and then why at that moment? What was he working on? Here's a few ideas. That time was perfect, first of all, because of Roman peace. For centuries before that, the whole world was at war, and the Middle East was in chaos. The Romans established Pax Romana. They, 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 they established the peace of the, of, the, of the region. And so that would make it possible for the gospel message to flow from Israel. Roman roads, part of that. Historians say it was another 1,800 years before it would be as easy for people to move about as it was right then. 
because they'd built this road system that went into the entire empire. And so again, the gospels, the missionaries could go on those roads and take the good news of Jesus everywhere. Common language. The, the entire Roman system, the primary language was Greek. If you wanted to do business in Rome, you had to speak Greek. And so every educated person in the entire Roman world spoke Greek along with whatever their native language was. And the Old Testament had been translated into the Greek, and so they had that going for them. And these letters that were written to various churches, written in Greek. Spiritual curiosity. It was a time of great spiritual hunger. Religions and pagan gods had let people, left people bankrupt like they always do, much like our day where there's great spiritual hunger and a lot of different options and all of them keep us wanting for more. And so we found out that Jesus could fill that hunger. And then the Jews were scattered. Every place where Christians were scattered to, virtually every city they went to, there was a Jewish synagogue and people knew the Hebrew Bible and so they had that going for them and they knew there was one true God and then they knew there was a promised Messiah and then the, 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 the Christian missionaries went into those places and they, they told them who that Messiah is and they told them the story of Jesus, which they'd already heard about. Because, you know, when a person's raised from the dead, that gets around. They filled in the blanks. But here's a very common mistake we make when understanding God and waiting for God. We tend to be self-centered. I, I mean, when you pray, do you listen to your requests? And how much of what you ask for centers around what you want or what you think you need or what you're afraid of? How much of your hope centers on specific desires that you haven't let God in on? Because here's the bottom line. Maybe the reason that God seems so silent or inactive in your season has nothing to do with God. It has to do with you. You say God's not moving. Maybe he's not moving because he's not moving according to your orders, according to what your desires are, your directives. Maybe instead he has a bigger view of the whole thing, a bigger plan, a better plan, and you can't fathom it, okay? You can't see the end game, whereas he can. And so one of the great lies in this world is to suggest that God is not doing anything in the waiting. And this, the second one kind of goes along with that. Here's a lie. God has forgotten us versus God never forgets a promise. And we read about this with Zechariah. I think you probably know this, but in Bible times, when they named kids, they didn't name them after celebrities or after Google search engines that show up a billion names you can choose from or whatever. They named them because they had hope. And they wanted the name of the person to resemble a hope. And so, for instance, the name Zachariah meant remembered by the Lord. Elizabeth, his wife, God keeps his promises. So remembered by the Lord came together with God keeps his promises and then miraculously they produced little Johnny which means the Lord has shown favor. All of this to prove God's reliability. They trusted 
and he was gracious. How many years, how many decades had they prayed for a child? For how many years had they given up hope? We don't know the answer to that. But God remembers. Even when they forgot, God remembered. Here's a little factoid. There were 24,000 priests in that day. It was a great honor for a priest to go into the most sacred part of the temple. A priest could only do that once during their lifetime. And, and it was the priest version of playing in the Super Bowl. I mean, if you got to do that, it was a big deal. And so they were the only one there. And then they went in and they prayed. And like I said, they prayed for a Messiah. And they prayed, you know, prayed for, for other. They could pray for themselves. I don't know if he prayed about his ability to have children. Probably not at that point. But I think the angel wanted to deal with two issues in that, in that room. The first is to show Zechariah there's a bigger picture in all this. And the second thing is your prayer needs to fit God's picture. And that's why this time and this moment. I mean, think about that. How many times you prayed for something and then you think, well, God, how come you didn't come through with that? I mean, God never forgets our prayers. But the silence has a purpose. You know, when I was a teenager, I, 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 w- I would say, I, w- I would have to describe myself as kind of a wild teenager. And I was involved with church. I, I was in a great youth group. I mean, it was, it was really a remarkable group of people. Uh, we had great youth sponsors, Ma and Pa Ludwig, who I'll remember until my dying days. I can't wait to meet them in eternity. Uh, great student ministers, including a man named Jaron Jackson, who was very encouraging to me. And a bunch of kids who just loved me up. And even when I was very rebellious. And so I, I had a, a change of heart, and I actually decided to follow God's calling and go into ministry. And it was after that that one of my friends from that youth group, this would like to be a year after I, I entered into my training for ministry, Jelena said to me, Scott, I don't know if you know this, but we've been praying for you for a long, long time. We've just been praying. We thought that maybe God could, could use you in ministry. We've been praying about that. I mean, see, here's the thing. They had to wait for a while. There was a lot of delay in that, but, but it worked. And let me ask you this question. Who are you praying for? Who are you praying that God can touch? Who are you praying that God will heal? Who are you praying that God will save? God can activate that prayer in his time for his purposes. But the question is, are you asking for his purposes or yours? That's important. That's important. Here's a third lie. God measures greatness the way we do when, in fact, here's the truth, God measures greatness much differently. Now, do you remember I told you to tuck something back where it said in 1 verses 13 through 15, your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You're to call him John. He'll be a joy and delight to you, so you're going to be blessed. And many will rejoice because of birth, and he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, our lying world makes us believe that the great people are the people on the talk shows or the people who are playing on Sunday or judging the latest TV talent show, there's so many of them, or filling up the arenas with a microphone in their face or getting all the votes. When in fact, God judges greatness much differently. The people of the time of Jesus' birth called Herod the Great 
The man was eaten by worms. God never calls him great, but he does call John great. This baby yet to be born, he calls him great. Because God's scale of greatness is much different than ours. I had a really good example of that this week that just been in my heart all week. I mean, it's just been, just been beautiful for me to think through it. And it's just how God works and how hope comes alive at the time that God needs it to. And I, I think it also proves what greatness is. About 30 years ago or so, our daughter Rachel, she had a friend named Jessica in our neighborhood. Close little friends, and they just played together, and there were others. But as Rachel did for all of her friends at that time, I'm sure she prayed for Jessica. I'm sure Jackie and I prayed for Jessica because she's one of Rachel's little friends. Uh, prayers for health, prayers for faith in God. But life goes on, people move, relationships change, a lot of water under the bridge. People move away. And so I take my cars to a place where Brenda works. And one time when I'm in there, she says, she's talking about Jessica, her friend. And then it, it dawns on me, or she told me, I don't remember, that Jessica is this same girl that is friends with my daughter, Rachel. And so it's, that's fun, you know. And then we talked here and there, and Brenda would say things like, I invited Jessica to come with me to church. I think she's going to come, or... Brenda would say, I invited Jessica to go to a Christian concert. We're going to go together. Uh, Brenda, Brenda just loves Jessica. And Jessica loves Brenda. So one person who God is doing a work in is encouraging another person who God's doing a work in. And it takes time. And so it's been so cool to see them coming to worship together and and, and see how God's moving in their lives. And In September, they both joined a rooted group, and Jessica told me this week, she said, yeah, Brenda really had to lean on me to get me there. But she did. And, and they went. And then on Sunday night, last week, Brenda was baptized. And then Brenda baptized her son, Lane. And then Brenda baptized her friend, Jessica. And I cried. And I'm crying right now, remembering this beautiful little girl from my daughter's childhood in her friend circle that God had hopes for even then. Jessica has friends who have hope. Over time, prayers are answered. I think people who are patient in the waiting, people like Brenda, like Jessica, her friends who prayed for her over her lifetime. I think that's greatness. I think many of you are. You might say, well, there's nothing really special or great about me. I would beg to differ. God sees how generous you are with your time and with your love. God sees how much of yourself you devote toward people who you encourage. God sees how you serve, how you give, how you care. God sees greatness in places that most of us don't. And God might say, you might think that I don't hear your prayers. You just wait. I'm on the move. I won't forget. I'm working on your behalf. Hope on. Big things coming.
Lord, as we go through this period of our year called Advent, give us hope. Lord, as we commune today, remind us of hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know where you are with prayer. You might be this the greatest prayer ever, or maybe you're like, I don't know what that is. It's simply talking to God. I want to challenge you over the next few weeks to really establish yourself in a conversation with God. If you need help with that, by the way, on our, on our app, on our church app, there's some place you can go called Rhythms, and it'll give you directional assistance with that. And it's really a great way for you to, to grow spiritually. But, but let me take you a little further with this challenge. I ask you to think about something that either you've hoped for or you've long since stopped hoping for and revisit it with God. However, if this isn't the way you approach it before, approach it this way. Or even if you did. Say, God, I'm looking for your will in this. I'm looking for your glory in this. Not mine, not my hopes, not my plan. God, what do you want to do with this? Tie me into your vision for this. I want to be like Zach, Ryan, and Elizabeth. Not about me. This is about you. And I'm just going to trust you with that. That's my challenge to you. Give it a try and let me know your story. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org, call us at 308-384-5038, or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.